The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. My name is Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to help transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And um, today I'm, I'm very excited um, to have with us uh, a... a world authority and thought leader on on the changing world of work for seniors, juniors, and everyone in between. So welcome to the show, Carrie Hannon. Well, thank you, Dave. I'm delighted to be here with you this afternoon. Well, it's great to have you, and I, I guess I was just thinking back. We were just uh, reminiscing. It's been a while. We we met in DC about uh, 5 years ago in connection uh, i was a, i was taking training as a leadership coach and you were cranking out great books on on uh, on employment issues especially for uh, people changing careers and it's just great to have you on the show to talk about a couple of your new books well thanks it's a delight and and you were just such a perfect uh, example of someone who really you know just made a really neat uh, change sort of in your career to really reach out and touch lives in a whole different way than you were doing before. Yeah, that was a real volta face from, uh, from academic life into, um, well, now being a, a radio show host, but it's been, it's, been a, it's been a fun and wild and a very exciting ride. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk <laughs> about the, the, the world of work. But before we jump into uh, these, these two books that you've uh, that you've uh, that have come out this year, uh, Carrie. You've you've just had this really fascinating career. You um, worked as a correspondent uh, sometimes for household names like Business Week, Forbes, U.S. News and World Reports, and now you run your own media business and are a columnist for the New York Times and Forbes, and author of a line of books about careers and work. But let's let's hop in the time machine and and look back at at uh, some of the key early experiences that led you to your current career path. What were some of those? Well, you know, Dave, the interesting thing is I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my dad, we had a family business, and 
part of that was we would sit around. My dad was uh, had a business where he consulted to a lot of different kinds of companies, from big companies like Volvo and Westinghouse to small companies. But a lot of them were manufacturing companies and started by really interesting entrepreneurs. And so we would sit around the din- dinner table at night and we talk about business and entrepreneurs and interesting people stories. And I kind of got excited. I, I knew that I was never going to work for my dad's business or do anything like that. But I got excited by the idea of telling stories and telling people stories of achievement. And dad loved Forbes magazine. He thought it was the greatest and he thought Malcolm Forbes made business fun. And so um, uh, that was my goal. I said, I'm going to get a job at Forbes magazine. And, uh, and if, you know, as we roll along in the years, I did manage to do that. And it was a lot of fun. But but so I'd say my father and his business was a huge influence on me, and my dad himself was a real self-made man who, you know, worked his way up from office boy to buying the company, and so he was an inspiration to me, and he always said, you know, you know, as a woman in those days, you know, I, I was, uh, it was a little bit unusual to completely give your daughters the message that you can absolutely do anything in the world you want to do, and that the only, you know, and, and education was the most important thing, and it was certainly to my dad, um, was the key. If, if there was anything we could do to really please dad, it was to do well in school and um, continue our education, and so, you know, he said that's one thing they can never take from you. And um, and so I would say, you know, it, it sounds a little uh, a little silly, maybe, maybe it's not, but I would say my dad was the hugest influence on my life. No, that's not it's not silly at all, and it, you know, it's interesting. As a coach, you listen to people tell their stories about about influences, positive and negative, and a lot of them do, you know, often times trace back to parents and the messages that they send. And I suspect, I'm, I, I want to ask you about unleashing experiences, you know, so in The Whole New Engineer, we talk about unleashing this generation of, of engineers and, and people in higher education more generally. Uh, we may have already heard about your unleashing experiences there with your dad, but in in uh, looking at your um, your resume, in '99 you sort of broke away from regular work to start your own company, and I'm just wondering if there were key unleashing experiences that gave you the courage to kind of make that break from from a regular paycheck and and the security of a stable job. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would say that one very important thing is is I learned uh, a lot about myself as I was uh, growing up that I knew when I went into this field initially as a, as a journalist is that I, I was always curious and I loved this idea of constantly learning new things mm. and tackling new areas. And I knew I didn't want to work in an office. And that was one reason why I sort of drifted into journalism because, A, we talked about earlier, I love telling people stories, but I also love the idea that I could get on an airplane. And in those days, in the 80s, they would, when I got the job at Forbes magazine, they would send us anywhere. You were sort of, you know, uh, you, could, you could go wherever. If you had a good story idea, even in your 20s, they let us fly anywhere. Um, and so I, got, I had this curiosity about learning, and I, I really hated feeling um, sort of roped into one place. And what happened to me is as I moved along in my career, um, uh, my final in-house, as I call it, job was at a you know lovely national newspaper, um, USA Today, and it was uh, you know one of my goals as a kid when I decided journalism was my path was hey. I wanted to have a national column with my picture. And lo and behold, I got that. And it was called Your Money. And it would run once a week and it had my picture. And it was very heady stuff. But at the same time, Dave, I was miserable because I, was, I couldn't get out of the office. It was a daily newspaper. 
you were in a bull, like a, a bullpen kind of arrangement with, uh, you know, my boss sat right at my back and there were people, I just, I was so used to having freedom and here I was locked in and I felt really, really unhappy and I was on vacation with that, that father of mine and I, he said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm miserable. And he said, well, quit. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know. And so, I, you know, I went home and, and I'm not kidding, but two days later I, I handed in my resignation, um, at USA Today and I have been on my own ever since. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made. <laughs> uh, it's beautiful how it ties back to your dad and, and, uh, being able to step away once you admitted to yourself that how how miserable you were and that you needed to do something else, even though you got you got essentially what you thought you wanted in the end. Beautiful. No, and and so and actually, so you weren't you weren't loving your job at the time, and and you just written this lovely book earlier in the year called Love Your Job, and I love the way you you start the book by you tell a story and and you draw lessons from from your dog, a Labrador retriever named Zena. So I, I guess I'm curious what. Uh, what can you tell us about Zena uh, and how she uh, uh, inspired you to uh, write this book? Well, I got to tell you, you know, anyone who's a, a dog lover, and I suppose we could say this about cats too, but I am a dog person mostly. And um, Zena is my road manager. She really goes everywhere with me. And, you know, when I started to write this book, Love Your Job, and, and this book sort of, I'll explain how that came to be this book, but when I looked around and I looked at Zena, I said, my gosh, that dog has the best job in the world. And, you know, it's a barter system, of course, but, you know, here's the thing. She wakes up in the morning with complete gusto. I mean, she absolutely, you know, is motivated. She's always determined to motivate me to get up, and she's eager to get outside. And I'm thinking, you know, that's a good life lesson. We should all get up in the morning and say, hey, you know, I want to get started today. And that's how people should feel about their jobs. And also, Zena has this ability to completely focus on her task, you know. She just concentrates so deeply. And, you know, whether it's a Frisbee, a ball, or, or you know, whatever. And I often think when we're thinking about do we love our jobs, it's, it's we get too distracted. We're trying to do too many things. We're forgetting the joy in the simple things, in the clear activity of what we're doing right then. And that kind of flows into staying present, which is, as anyone who has a dog, you know, dogs are really good at being wholly present uh, in the moment. So, you know, those are just a couple of things. But, you know, she's always, like, pushing in new directions. She loves to socialize. She's great at networking. You know, (laughs) she loves to go to the dog park and meet other dogs. And she's just, you know... And she loves learning whenever I take a class of any kind with her, obedience or whatever it might be. She thrives on this sort of uh, learning new things or new, um, you know, I don't want to call them tricks, but that sort of behavior things that, you know, and then we work as a team together. So those are just a few things. The last thing I would say is like go places. Like Zena loves to hop in the car with me and go places. And I think in our work lives, we have to have this curiosity to keep moving, to go and travel and not get bogged down in what we're doing right there and then. Beautiful. And yeah, so everything I learned and I, I needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. You learned from, from Zena. And, and this, is, this is just just great. And, and actually, as you were talking, I was thinking back to my Georgetown experience. And when you get trained as a leadership coach, you, get, you work on your presence and being present. And one of the ways I practiced was with dogs. 
because dogs are so fully present. So when you, if you make eye contact with with a dog, you you get back what what's inside of them, and they they see you being present to them. So it's it, it's actually it seems it seems almost silly, or, or but it's I don't think it is at all. I think that the things you're saying are really. Uh, pretty pretty deep. So okay, so Zine inspired you, but you know, why did you write this book? What does it mean to love your job? Well, exactly. Here's what inspired me, Dave. I go around the country and I speak to a lot of audiences, mostly people over fifty, but it can be younger who are looking to find a job. And even though the job numbers are somewhat better um, for people over fifty, they're really not so much. But um, it, you know, it's and also where you are in your career, it can be really tricky. And um, I, I see this fear in people's eyes, this palpable fear that they're going to outlive their money. I mean, they really want a job. They're not, you know, out there just thinking about it. So, you know, I come home and I run into friends who were complaining about their jobs and, oh, I'm so miserable. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, get over it. You know, if you're not happy, do something about it because, you know, you should be grateful you have a job and work from that standpoint. And, you know, when you say, like, what is it that makes you love your job? You know, when you really dig down through the weeds, you know, when people say, oh, my boss makes me miserable or blah, blah, blah. You know what, Dave? It's usually, and it's usually that you find that the person is bored. You know, they're bored at what they're doing, and they don't recognize it as that, but that's like a big piece of it. Yeah, that's so, it's, yeah, so it's so interesting. It, and, and there is this tendency to, to blame the other it's it's the job it's the boss it's the it's my coworkers and and it's not that those things don't matter they matter matter a lot and and like you were saying before with your own story is is the thing that you're doing aligned with who you are is is a pretty big piece of it I think it's so true, and in and, and, and the early days of, of uh, when I left that job we talked about at USA Today and went on my own, one of the first things I did is I had a book contract to write a book about something that, ha- that didn't specifically talk about money or careers, but it, in, in essence it was. It was a book about Navajo weaving, and I went out to the reservation and I profiled three weavers because it's a dying craft where the mothers aren't passing the tools down as much to their children as the kids leave the reservation, and one of the women I interviewed was around 80 years old, and she didn't speak English. I had a translator. She lived in a tiny little Hogan and, and with no running water and no electricity. And here is Mary had such complete joy in her work, Dave, that the questions mm. I asked her, she said, you ask questions nobody thinks about. And she, you know, she wove the most monumental, beautiful rugs, and she was so passionate about what she did in her craft that it was a real uh, kind of life-changing moment for me to see that kind of joy in your work as well. So as you said, it's, it's really you knowing who you are and what the joy is, what makes you happy in your work. Well, and we get tired, you know, so we have all this technology and all these things, which as, as we were saying before, are actually in some ways distractions from this being present. And so here's this woman weaving all day and, and just, just, digging the experience of it in a profound way. Mm-hmm. And I think also when we look around, you know, when you ask people about what do you love about your job, you know, mm. very rarely do they tell you it's exactly what they're doing. They yes. love the people they work with. They love the opportunity to continue to learn. They like the opportunity to travel. They, they'll say, oh, I like that I have some, you know, I can work from home sometimes or what have you. But, you, you know, there's lots of things that go around a job that make someone love their job 
So, you know, I, I think it's really careful for when someone to really do soul searching. If they are unhappy, to really, you need to just pull through the layers. And I'm sure that you've worked with a lot of people in the same process. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Zink Zentmahali's work on flow and, and, you know, so from from janitors to symphony conductors, you can find flow in any kind of work and, and, and be engaged in, in any kind of work. It, it, it really doesn't depend on the type of work itself. And, and when I give, you know, folks advice about how to kind of get out of this rut, um, yep. you know, one of the best things you can do is to learn something new. You know, sign up for a class, whether it's it's related to your field or not. It's probably better if it is, but it's not necessary because once you start learning something, and you know this, and, and it, the whole process of learning new things just sort of switches the, the it, it turns a switch in your brain. You start to get excited about things again, and the world looks a little bit different. Well, I think this connection with learning and, and loving your work is a really important one. And this show, of course, is about education. And I think we need to explore that. Do we really, you know, do, are we, are we creating a generation of lifelong learners who actually know how to do that or not? I think is a really important question. But I, before we head there, okay, so your career starts back in 1982. At this, at that time, I'm working on my PhD at the University of Michigan. The IBM PC had just come out. The Mac was two years down the road. The, the browser was 11 years in the future. Well, there's a lot of water, technological water over the dam since then. And I guess I'm uh, and curious, in what ways has this technological societal and organizational change change the, the world of work from your perspective? Well, I, you know, I think it's just made it fantastic. I mean, for me, and the kind of work I personally like to do, it's given me this amazing amount of freedom yes. um, that I can actually, and maybe it's too much freedom to that I do work probably more than I might have before, <laughs> but... But I can take my laptop, and wherever I am, I can, I can be connected. I can be working. I can be engaged with what I'm doing. So I feel this enormous sense of freedom, and I think a lot of uh, other workers I know do. I also think the opportunity, you have to be careful, but the, the, you, we can get information so quickly now. It's, it's easy, like, hey, you know, how many times did the kids say, oh, just Google it, you know? <laughs> So, so, you know, we're always like, but it's not hard to get the information. You need to do a little, you know, discerning because there's a lot of stuff out there now. But I think our access to, to learning and our access to information is so much quicker and deeper um, that it, it makes it so much easier to, to keep pushing the envelope. Terrific, and I and I think we want to we want to dive into that, and we'll we'll talk more about this whole educational side of this and whether we're whether we're educating people to to deal with this freedom that you're just talking about. We need to take a little break, and we'll uh, come back in a minute. To um, This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Carrie Hannon. In the next segment, we're going to follow up on, on these uh, issues of uh, loving your work and what it takes to really uh, find profound engagement in your work. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. 
David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Biz Locker Radio is a high-energy business show that features compelling conversations and cutting-edge business content that you can use to improve your performance today. Hosted by Kelly Riggs and presented by the Business Locker Room, Biz Locker Radio features dynamic thought leaders from sales, marketing, leadership, business strategy, social media, and more. If you're in business, you need an edge. Develop that edge with Biz Locker Radio. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, and 3 p.m. Central on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information, visit bizlockerradio.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. Yeah, and welcome back to Big Beacon Radio with your host, Dave Goldberg. We urge you to get a copy of the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education. It's not just for engineers anymore at www.wholeengineer.org. Before the break, we were talking with uh, columnist and author Carrie Hannon about the changing world of work and how to love love your job. Carrie, uh, generally speaking, what what makes a person love his or her work? Is it is it the work? Is it the attitude? Individual's attitude? What is it? You know, there's there's so many aspects of what makes us truly love what I do, what we do, and what you know. And and some of the pieces, you know, I, I briefly mentioned before, is like the people you work with and so forth. But some of the one of the big pieces, Dave, is that you believe in the mission of what your company is doing or the product they're making. And it's not just a nonprofit. It can be a for-profit company. People like to take pride in what it is that the end product of what they're doing. So I think that's a big piece that we need to to step back and say, you know, yeah, you know, there's a bigger uh, mission involved here. So I think it's it's really um, that's one big aspect of what people love about it. Um, Often it's it's the opportunity to really – you know, be a leader in a field, to make a difference in other people's lives, to feel that you're making some sort of social impact in a way. So, again, that ties in with a mission sort of thing. But it, often it's, it's, you know, it really is, it depends on your age, but actually I think a lot of younger workers feel the same way. It's, it's having a sense of autonomy, feeling that you're treated with um, so, with sort of respect like a grown up that you don't that you yeah. have the freedom to kind of set your own hours and maybe it's um, you know even if it's just a day a week of telework but something that makes you feel like you're setting your own schedule and you have that autonomy. 
Well, and so, you know, things like uh, Dan Pink's book, Drive, and Edward Deasy's work on self-determination theory back that up. But I guess I'm curious, you're this collector of stories. So is there a really cool story of somebody who went from lack of purpose to purpose that, that, that comes to mind? Well, you know, I, th- I think there's, I've, I've just found so many great stories out there uh, along the way. But um, often I think that, that people, when they're, they get bogged down and, like, they want to try something new or follow something that, uh, that really is meaningful to them. There was a woman um, uh, who, her name is Ann Nolan, and she was laid off from her job in corporate America when the, the company had been sold and so forth. And she was sort of mid-50s, didn't have any idea of what her passion was, what she really wanted to do, and she was really pretty lost. And she would mm. just, she lived in Providence, Rhode Island, and she would walk along the river there with her dog and thinking about what should I do. And Anne decided to volunteer at the homeless shelter in uh, Providence, uh, Crossroads, Rhode Island. And she started off, at, at, you know, at, because of her background in corporate uh, America, they, they asked her um, pretty quickly whether she would like to be on, on the board. And so she got involved in this homeless shelter on the board. And next thing you know, the position for chief executive opened up. And now she is the the head of this homeless shelter, the largest homeless shelter in Rhode Island. And she had no idea this was the path she was going to find herself on at this stage in her life. But she said, Carrie, you know, I cry every day and I cry for the right reasons because she's making a difference. But it was like she opened herself up to the opportunity. And I often say that at this stage, people get caught up in, oh, I need to, uh, I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to, you know, do this. It's not about reinvention. It's about redeploying the skills you currently have in a new direction. And what she did is all those skills she had from her background in, in, um, in working in a corporation and her executive leadership skills, she was able to transition to running this this wonderful nonprofit in Rhode Island, and it was just a matter of redeploying those skills. And I think it's just a mind shift. It's a really great way for people to think about making a change in their work life. Well, yeah, and I'm I love that story. And 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 what does it? What do I love about? It? I love so the there's this you know this not knowing that this openness to this experience, I'm going to go do this thing that sounds like a good thing to do. It wasn't done with intention, as you say, to reinvent herself. It was done with intention of, of this thing that she cared about and the openness to that and the, and the not knowing actually is as much responsible for where she ended up as the being direct. You know, you, you think that you've got to lay out the plan and follow the plan, but sometimes being open and not having a plan, but, but heading in some different direction is is the way forward. I absolutely love it. And, you know, one of the things, Dave, that you can talk about with folks who are trying to get reengaged in their work again, if you're not going off to start a new in a new path completely, is right where you're working right now is to mm. raise your hand and ask for new duties or to say, hey, I'll do that if there's a new opportunity comes up and, say, and volunteer to do it. So many people are afraid that they're going to fail if they step out front and try to do something they're not sure they can do yet, that they might not have the you know, skill set, they don't feel that they have it, and there's that, that fear of failure that stops people and gets them stuck. And if you raise your hand and you step out there and it's scary and the adrenaline rush starts, you know, you find that you get excited again about your work. And yeah, it is a little scary, but it also like, makes you want to get up in the morning and get rolling, like Xena. <laughs> yeah, and, and okay, enough enough with the Labrador Retriever. But any no, this is great. But so so she she's uh, 
so okay, so we're at we're at a work we're at a workplace that we're we're not crazy about, and and so one of the things you can do is to kind of raise your hand and say, "I'd can I? Is there something else I can do, or volunteer for something else? What else? You're at yeah, you're I at mean, this job. What else can you do? You know, like that. You know, so give yourself permission to stretch. Okay, so that's really important, and be and be graceful about you know uh, accepting that invitation with confidence. I also think it's incredibly important to. Think about ways that you can explore sort of finding joy around the edges, as I call it. You know, we've already talked about you're going to ramp up. Maybe you're going to learn something new. Um, you might, you're going to do these stretch assignments. How about looking for joy around the edges, which might be, you know, getting involved with coworkers are very important uh, to how we view our work. And if you can find things that you might do with your coworkers, you know, um, outside of the actual job, perhaps it's volunteering for a volunteer project that your company has, has um, been involved in. And often this has a dual uh, purpose because you're networking as well. And often the people involved with the volunteer activities in a company are in some leadership positions. So it's a good place to put yourself. But in addition, you're doing something for somebody else. So you're getting out of this sort of negative mindset you might be on, and it just feels good. So you're interacting with your colleagues. You're building some bonds here, but you're also, like, getting yourself into a different state of mind. So that's really important. And if it's not just volunteering with coworkers, you might say, hey, you know, um, let's get more physical. Maybe you organize a walking group at lunchtime or you, or a biking group or a running group or you get involved with your company uh, bowling team or kickball or something. You know, it it's just gets you bonding with coworkers outside of the office in a really fun way. In fact, here in D.C., I have some friends who are at NIH and they um, they've got to they have a band that they of a cappella they sing and they go around they have an acapella group and there's another group that's a band but they go to assisted living care and they and they perform and they do you know free concerts and stuff so there's all kinds of ways like that that you can get excited about building your relationships at work and I always tell people you know celebrate other people's successes too you know by saying you know if your coworker is getting something's great happening to them you know say congratulations stop by and you know when you root for somebody else it comes back at you yes yeah, so, you know the one of the you know basic models in in business theory is the distinction between twet task and relationship and and sometimes we get so hung up on the task and 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 results and things like that that the relationship part doesn't seem that important and here you're emphasizing it as one of the ways to um, love your job. I, I'm reminded of some research um, that was done not that long ago that the single most important predictor of a successful um, career uh, in onboarding was getting connected to the social group. I think we I think we really undervalue the the relationship and community side of what it means to be in a working organization. You know, and I think it's key, David, as we get older, it's harder and harder. I, in my 20s, it was really easy because we all would, we were all about doing that. We weren't married yet. We were all kind of, we'd go out after work together. We would do stuff on the weekends. We'd go to each other's weddings and stuff once sure. we got to that level. But as you get up older, it's hard in your own family and your own demands. It's harder and harder to take the time to really invest in your coworkers. And, and you don't have to be best friends, but it is building these kind of relationships. Nice. And so, um, so, so, okay, we've been talking about people uh, who are trying to 
replenish the joy, uh, find or find the love in a current job. So suppose you're you're a, a new graduate or or you're switching jobs. Um, how do you how do you find how do you how do you pick a a workplace where you're likely to find those things? Yeah, and this is a tricky one because I think what happens is if you're looking if you're in the phase where you're looking for your next job or your next place, it's critical that you just you really do that soul searching and that sort of writing down. And it sounds like oh, how many times do we have to do this? But putting together a journal in the sense of what is it that you like about a job, your job you yeah. have now? I'm sure there are things you do like. And, but what is it that you don't like in a job? What do you want to be sure you don't have? You know, if you, like me, in my situation, if I don't want to be stuck in an office, don't go looking for a job that's a desk job. You know, try to really map out what it is you do. Put yourself in the driver's seat. Don't, it's, you know, I always encourage people to look at work as me, Inc. So you're always your own, running your own business. So, find out what it is that you don't want to do and then start, you know, narrow down your choices from that angle. Also, you want to be very sure to talk to people who actually work at that company. And if you can get indoor, get a foot inside somehow to get a sense of what, what is the lay of the land there? What sort of culture is it? If you're visiting for interviews, look around. What are, what does the workforce look like? Do they look like people that you would fit in with? Because often people don't get the job. They think, oh, they didn't get hired because of X, Y, or Z. Many times they're not hired because the hiring manager says, you know, I don't think they're going to fit in. It's not that you're not qualified. It's that you just don't fit in. So it's important to know what is the kind of workplace and the kind of duties and the kind of job you want. So take the time so you're not just throwing darts at jobs, but really figure out so you strategically pick the places you want to apply for jobs at. And well, if you're, and, uh, one other quick thing, if you're yeah. changing careers, yeah. I think it's really important to do the job first. So many people, the career switchers, in a book I did earlier, What's Next, I profiled people who had done one thing for you know 20 years or so and then changed to do something completely different, which is wonderful. But, but in that sense, you, know, you think, oh, this is going to be so dreamy because it's something I've always wanted to do. But you need to get out and actually do the job because you might find that it's not so great. So if you can moonlight, if you can volunteer uh, on the weekends, whatever it is to just get indoors, maybe in today's world, they're not just because of the new movie, but there are internships out there for folks, you know, get a sense of, is this something I want to do day in and day out? I think you and I have a, a, a mutual person that we know who, when she uh, took an early retirement as a corporate lawyer, she thought, hey, I'm going to be a, a landscape designer because gardening was her passion. And she said, oh, this is perfect. This is what I'm going to do. And when she got in the garden on a day-to-day basis, she was miserable because she was so lonely. She was a people person, and that gardening for her was her yeah. respite. That was where she went to relax. So, you know, know yourself. Well, and it's hard to, it, you know, so we, it's hard to know yourself, and, and your your advice of doing it ex, as a little experiment it just sounds so so right. We oftentimes are in our head, and we think, you know, we use uh, the music man. We use the think method to to imagine what it is that our life is going to be like. And then when we go do it, it's something very different. You really have to experience it. And and this goes along with so much of what you you're talking about um, here that that these emotional variables are really the critical ones when it comes to work alignment. And, and you know, the love using the word love kind of clues us in, but it's that it's a bunch of 
emotional variables, not head variables or even content variables. It's whether you really find find fulfillment in a deep way that we're talking about. Absolutely, it's so true, and it's 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 so it's a process. I always I encourage people who, if you think you're going to be making a, a big career transition, referring to the last situation, is. Um, you know, often, you know, give yourself the time to make a change. When I profiled people who changed careers in a major way, it took them three to five years to really make that transition. And they yeah. started slowly, you know, and, and it's something that's a process. So career change does not happen overnight. Yeah, when I left the university, I thought, I said, I said five years, I thought, oh, it'll be two, but it's been <laughs> It's five plus, so and I, I agree with that number. So, so uh, in in uh, in your book, you use the acronym Hover H O V E R to describe some of the key ingredients in in loving your job. What's Hover stand for? Well, you know, this is just kind of a fun little acronym. I mean, Hover. I think of it as the five core ingredients you kind of must have or you need to develop in order to create change in your working life. So. The H in Hover stands for hope, and I think hope is really essential. You have to have the confidence that you can reach your goals and that you'll find a way to do so. And it, it's sort of this uh, ephemeral thing, but hope is, is something that is, it's, re, it's, it's, a, it's an intangible, but it's something we need to seek and, and look for. Um, optimism is the O. Optimism allows you to have a positive approach, and it keeps you pushing ahead through roadblocks because Anytime you're making changes, there are going to be setbacks. And you need to have this sort of, uh, I'm not saying being unrealistic, but be optimistic because it's really critical. And also people want to be around people who are optimistic. I mean, you'll find your networking is much easier when you have sort of that attitude of optimism. The V comes from value. And that means that you recognize that you have something to offer, that you have the skills and the talents to get results and to make progress if you put in the effort. So this is an important thing. A lot of people start to, they don't recognize what's, what they really do well. And, and so it's taking ownership of that, having that sort of chutzpah, that swagger, knowing that you've got value so you can move forward with whatever you're going to do. And um, that's an important piece. The E is for enthusiasm. And it's like having that sort of oomph, you know, the energy to make the changes. And that is, again, that's something that, that we need to, it can be developed. And resilience is the last piece. And resilience is sort of the knack for springing back in the face of adversity or failure. And I think it's really indispensable to be resilient. And not everybody is hardwired for that, so you need to work at it. And um, resilience is, is something that you'll find the most successful people have all been knocked down at some point, and they've come back and come back stronger. But it's because they've allowed themselves to learn from their failure and to take those lessons and move forward with all that optimism, enthusiasm that we talked about earlier. So that's how I kind of just boiled it into the HOVER uh, acronym. I really like I like the acronym, and I and I like the the sense that um, well, really full throated uh, expression that this is all about. It's it's really about emotion. We we think of jobs as rational and planning, and I'm going to plan my career. And when we look back at our careers, there's there's a lot of interesting movement, but in in many cases, not much real planning or, or you know or things coming out according to what you thought at the time, and and the and the the steadfast guide is is how you feel about things and 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 your emotional your emotional engagement with your work. 
just uh, thirty about fifteen seconds left. What? I think that's absolutely true, and it's like your inner compass. I mean, you you know yourself better than anyone does. But these are all things that we can mentally make that shift. A lot of reasons why people don't love their job is because it's an internal attitude, and if you yeah. can get some of these core ingredients, it will really move you forward. Beautiful. Uh, and with that, we'll we'll take a break. And, and this is Big Beacon Radio with special guest Carrie Hannon. Uh, in the next segment, we want to explore some of these Ideas of, of loving loving your job, loving your work, and and uh, how do we take those to uh, K twelve and higher education? We'll do that in the next segment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. 5790 or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio with your host, Dave Goldberg, and with uh, special guest, Carrie Hannon. Get the coaching and deep faculty development you need to transform higher education at www.3joy.com. Carrie, in the last segment, we were talking about. Uh, ways to to love love your work, and we're just talking about the hover acronym: hope, optimism, value, enthusiasm, and resilience. Um, but this show, we're 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 focused on transforming higher education and education more generally. And and I noticed you got a comparative literature degree uh, back in the day from Duke, and and then you were off and running in this the world of journalism in 1982s. And and. In what ways are are those kinds of careers available or not available to young people today? You know, I think, well, in my particular field, journalism has changed quite a bit, but that doesn't mean there aren't great opportunities there. It's a little different than when I was starting. But but the key to, to my stepping into that, I believe, was two things. I had a, a high school professor who, my high school English teacher, freshman English, he it would we'd pull apart magazines like Time magazine and so forth, and we'd critique them. And and I just got in my head, you know, that that I got it. This I fell in love with magazines way back then, and 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 sort of non, you know, that sort of magazine. And um and he inspired me quite a bit. And as I moved further in my career, when I was at U.S. News and Forbes and so forth, Mr. Gregory used to still he would print out 
and and he would send me a write up with a critique of my article. <laughs> but I think what happens is for me, when I was at Duke, I had the opportunity to have a tremendous professor there who was actually he was a visiting professor. He was a senior editor at Time Magazine, and he hmm. we had a small a small workshop, and he really inspired me. There were ten of us in his class, and he encouraged me to write. He encouraged me to follow this this path into uh, news magazines and so forth. And from that, I got an internship my senior year at Duke at Washingtonian Magazine in Washington. So this is what I say. The power of starting, like getting an internship if you're younger, and now we're having more of these for older uh, folks too, but I did that internship at Washingtonian. Because I had that internship, when I graduated from Duke, I got a job at Pittsburgh Magazine in Pittsburgh, which was my hometown. Because of the Washingtonian connection, they said, hey, they, they had her on board. Let, let's see here. So, And here I was in my 20s. I was just a kid, and I was covering nightlife in Pittsburgh. I would write people stories again, as we talked about my love of people stories. But I would do a profile of a jazz musician. I'd say, oh, where to go in Pittsburgh for jazz or, um, you know, for um, piano bars or whatever. I would, or even a comedian. I would do a profile of someone and say, where do we go in town for that? So it kind of got me started on this path. But, again, I really believe it was the power of the internship and also the ability for me in that sense. And I would encourage anyone going into this field and maybe uh, comparative literature helped me think in different ways. But um, I would take any assignment. I mean, I was writing. I was stringing for Business Week. I was writing, um, covering for the Pittsburgh newspaper. I would cover school board meetings. I was writing an alternative, a, a dance column for an alternative newspaper, yes. which, you know, anything and everything. I would just, just because I love to write and I wanted to tell stories. And I'm hearing in that story that, you know, that the, I'm hearing timeless messages. I'm not hearing messages that are aligned with a particular epoch or a particular time in technology. So that, and, and there, in many ways, you know, so many of the stories you just told were connected to inspirational people or mentors or people who took you under their wing in, in a certain way and inspired you, built, helped you build mastery in certain areas. I'm hearing, I'm hearing that and I'm hearing this sort of, thirst for um, experience, relevant, ex- relevant experience, but, but stretch, not, not right down the pipe of what you might want to do, but so- anything that gets you in the ballgame of, of what you want to do. I'm hearing those two things. In those Absolutely. Stories. If you're curious, and that's the biggest ingredient of all of our lives, mm. I think, of all of our, if you have a curiosity about the world, you're going to be okay. Because you're always going to be able to ask questions and seek out the answer to find the solution. And I think having that curiosity is really key. And all of us can nurture that, but it's something some people, it's engendered in, as my grandmother would say. But the key, I think, Dave, also to some of those uh, those narratives I was telling you is it's networking. So no matter how great technology is today, how, me- how easy it is to fire off an- a resume online or to do research on a particular job or whatever it is, or network online, it is the physical, like, actually face-to-face networking with people and who you know that's going to get you a job or get you to a better position where you are now. It, it really is that people connection, and I think that that gets lost in the world of technology today is reaching back. And, and social media certainly helps us stay connected. I'm connected to people I worked with 25 years ago and so forth, and I'm still getting work from some of those folks because we engage on Facebook or on LinkedIn. So those are really key. But I also think making the time to go have coffee with somebody, to pick up the phone, that heavy old telephone, and make a phone call instead of sending a text. Yeah. No, I and and I think that it 
that's that's it's interesting how networking has changed the modalities of it, but there's still also this um, this you know we were well we started with Xena and and being present to um, to your life, and there's this sense of 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 being present with others physically, that there's something special about that. We get some of that on things like Skype. The video gives us uh, good chunks of it, I think. And even phone calls, uh, if you're really, if you're present to them, give you quite a lot. But there's something special about being physically with someone. I think it's really important that we don't forget that because um, it it really will propel your work life forward if it's a job that you're in right now and also if you're seeking new opportunities. So, okay, so this shows about education and, and, and I know you're, you know, so this is a bit off the beaten track, but I want you to speculate a little bit based on, on, on your experience, uh, in telling telling stories around the world of work, so in what ways are we preparing young people for the way in which the the world of work has changed, and in what ways are we failing to prepare them? Well, in my experience, and I'm actually on a board at Duke University, so I do get on campus uh, once or twice a year and get a sense of what's what's going on to as much as you can from those sort of helicoptering. And I believe that students today. Um, are definitely prepared in the sense of uh, if they're engaged in learning, they know that lifelong learning is part of what they're up to because that they generally are programmed to know that things are changing quickly. They're, they grew up in a world where things were constantly changing in a faster pace than when I grew up in, you know, in my era. So I think that, um, and I've had to adjust, and you have too, but I think that they are attuned to that. So I think that's all really good. I do think there's, you know, I don't think we're preparing them enough for the, the um, actual, as we talked about, these internships, this digging down, getting, being realistic, not, it's great to be idealistic and think, oh, I'm going to have this, this incredible job, but let's get in, and they seek out sort of salaries that might even be a little unrealistic, you know, to get down in the trenches and get their hands dirty, especially when you're just coming out of school, I think is some of the best groundwork you can do to prepare yourself to be a leader in your field, to really know, try to experience all the different aspects. Don't just aim straight for the top, but but work your way through the channels. I think people tend to not want to do the grunt work. Yeah, that's interesting, and I've heard that. You know, I've heard that from employers, and I've and, and before the sense of uh, you know wanting to start in the in the C suite, you know, so you know, be the CEO or a CTO, and you just right out of out of school. I wonder you know, what's what's behind that. What uh, and I don't. The other aspect, Dave, is that, yeah. and I'm not sure what is behind this. Is a lot. I write a lot about how older and younger workers can coexist in the workplace in a really great way. But one thing happens is that I hear again and again that uh, the younger generation often will go around the authority, like whoever their immediate boss is, they'll just skip over to the next person. Like they don't necessarily respect what was traditionally the chain of command. <laughs> and and they communicate in a way that is texting or not that sort of uh, phone or uh, face-to-face interaction, and they. Now, I'm really gene- I'm being very general here, so this is just a sweeping statements. But you know, they want that autonomy and working from home, not coming in the office from the get-go. And I, I'm not sure that we're preparing them for the realities of you do. Sometimes you do need that um, those sort of structures in order to move uh, in a workplace to move forward in a cohesive fashion. 
Well, and then also the flip side of that is sometimes those structures are are actually hindering the company's progress, and you know, and maybe some of this is the you know we have examples of guys like Mark Zuckerberg that you know start companies at seventeen and younger. I mean, it's, it's you know every day you hear about a younger and younger entrepreneur that started a bigger and bigger company, mm-hmm. and and even even young people in their 13, 13 14 doing world class research. One of the the democratization of information doesn't really care about your organizational rules the kids can go find stuff out and, and maybe they're right. I think so. I think that's true. But you still need, if you're going to take your business to the next level, you need yeah. a certain uh, degree of organization that's not so freeform because there are, you know, sort of basic ways that, you know, you service a consumer or your customer and so forth. That It's beyond the idea stage. It's moving forward into the practical execution of the work. Yeah, and I think I think there is a polarity between organization and structure and and rules and regula- regulations and 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 this democratization and freer innovation and things like that. And I, I I don't think we're and and a lot of the tensions and I think many of the tensions that you write about between younger and older workers and and some of the crazy things going on are connected to that we don't. We haven't really settled, you know, and I don't know that we will settle given how things continue to change. I agree, and I and I think you know, there's but the the core here is there is this everyone you need to have this willingness to adapt and to learn new ways of doing things. So when I talk to older workers in the workplace, like I or or people over fifty trying to get back into the workplace, I often say, you know, some of the greatest opportunities for you are to look for, you know, small businesses or startups who really want your expertise. They want a grown-up in the shop who really knows mm. that sort of how to get those things. Like, they can be the object. As long as you're willing to learn and be adapt and do new ways of doing things, that's fantastic because there's a nice way that there's a synergy there between the experience, I've seen this, I've done this, I know how to move this. That go, that really coexists nicely with the energy and enthusiasm and the new idea generation. Well, and some of some of um, what's been democratized is is knowledge that can be gathered on the web, and then there's this tacit knowledge that's gained over a career that that you can't replace without the experience. We've we've got about uh, uh, three minutes left, and so uh, let's let's finish on a practical note for for job seekers. So. Um, how important is LinkedIn today for job hunters? Oh, it's absolutely. I, I think it's it's critical. It is the um, it is your living, breathing resume. It is it is the way that you can showcase all the kinds of things you do, from videos to slideshows to you know uh, awards you've won in a in a format that you can constantly be tweaking and changing and engaging. It's a wonderful way to uh, get involved in your industry so that you become a thought leader in your industry by by getting involved in the groups and, and, and collaborating and, and contributing to discussions and so forth. You can really learn a lot. And you can also follow people who are leaders in your field on LinkedIn as well. But I do just, I love the idea that there's so much you can do there 
to uh, make yourself a really attractive candidate in, in the job market that your flat resume can't do. And you still need that paper resume, but I, I think that, um, and particularly for older workers, to show that you're on LinkedIn is a great way to show that you're um, sort of comfortable with technology because work, uh, employers really are concerned that you're not up to speed with technology. And if you can show that you have a little bit of familiarity with how to you know, navigate online and have a LinkedIn profile, I think it helps you quite a bit. That's and terrific advice. And so um, as we wrap up, where can listeners go to find out more about your work or to contact you for a speaking or consultation? Oh, work? well, thank you so much. Um, I, my website is uh, kerryhannon.com. So that's K-E-R-R-Y-H-A-N-N-O-N.com. And you can follow me at at Hannon on Twitter. Uh, I absolutely love to hear from, from folks and uh, hear people's stories or whatever your concerns are uh, on, on sort of the whole career arena because it's at every stage of life there are challenges and great opportunities. Great. And thanks for, thanks for joining us, Carrie. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education with Dave Goldberg. Special thanks to, to Carrie Hannon and uh, follow all that good social media she just gave. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at www.bigbeacon.org. Join us next week when uh, Edgar Schein, a renowned expert on organizational culture, will talk to us about the culture of higher education and how we can better understand it as we're trying to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.